0: Welcome to the Alchemy of Business Show with your host, Steve Rogers. The Alchemy of Business Show is a podcast that mixes practical, actionable business solutions with soulful insights for anyone seeking deeper meaning in their lives and greater success in their work. Steve will be featuring purpose-driven leaders from all walks of life and getting insight into their journeys from failures to triumphs. So tune in to Transition, transform, and evolve in every dimension of your business and life. And now your host of the Alchemy of Business Show, Steve Rogers. Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening in on the Alchemy of Business Show. We are both on video and audio, so however you got here, whether you're seeing me or you're listening to me or both, thank you, thank you, thank you. We have an amazing woman today on the show. She is a powerful leader in her own right. She brightens the world wherever she goes. But we have Miss Alyssa Cohn, who is a startup CEO, uh, she's a startup and CEO coach, advisor, author, and podcast host herself. Uh, she also uh, terms in her bio that she's a recovering CPA. So we're going to find out more about that. And in that mix, she also is a Broadway investor uh, and has invested in various shows. So obviously uh, have run some Tonys, I hear. And she obviously must love shows and show tunes, which my wife will love because she's a big show tunes and, and uh, a Broadway lover. But she also um, helps startups. And as a CFO in her own knowledge about understanding finance, she learned in ways that she could take this out into the entrepreneurial world with helping and consulting. She also became successful enough that she is a a current angel investor and she's an advisor. She was named the number one global guru of startups in 2021. This is a global international thing that is voted on. uh, And in the C-suite space, uh, this is a pretty big deal. So I want to talk to her about how that came about. Uh, We also got connected originally through Marshall Goldsmith. Uh, Alyssa and I have known Marshall for maybe 18 years now, and I'm going to find out how long Alyssa has known him. But we're part of the Marshall Goldsmith Network, and we run in some of those circles with other coaches and leaders and executives. Um, And uh, I've always been impressed with what she does in the world. And some of her articles that I follow, she's written articles on Forbes and Inc. and uh, featured on Bloomberg and World News, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So without further ado, let's bring on Miss Alyssa Cohn. Hey Steve. Thank hey, you hey, so hey. Much for
1: having me. How are you?
0: So good. So good. And you are zooming into us on StreamYard today uh, from New York. From right? New York
1: City. That's right. Absolutely. In the big
0: city. Now how long have you resided in New York? Has that been a lifelong thing or did that become uh, in recent years? In
1: recent years I'm from Boston originally and I woke up one day and I thought why am I in Boston? I need to be in New York. So I moved to New York although newsflash as of March 1st. I'm I live now in Montclair, New Jersey with my beau because um after the pandemic, you know, the pandemic changed everything and so I kind of fled to Montclair, New Jersey with him and we've been together we've been together living ever since. So I thought I'd make it official.
0: Oh, good for you. Well, congrats on that. Thank How did you both fare through the whole COVID global like in the in the intensity of the initial like lockdown Amen. and all of that did it? did it have havoc on you a lot or mildly? And you were helping everyone else maneuver through it because wow. i know you helped so many people. So how did you personally get affected? And then how were you helping others?
1: I know. I mean, that's a, like a long, you know, like threaded kind of yeah. topic, but I would just say this, when the pandemic first happened in New York, first of all, New York was really affected by it. It was like traumatized by it. I moved out here to Montclair, New Jersey with Eric, we had a month of transition, shall we say. We had a few words with each other as we were kind of adjusting to the new reality. But as I like to say, I fled here with the clothes on my back and 400 pounds of kettlebells. Because oh, wow. <laughs> fitness is everything, people. Fitness is everything. And uh, you know, we, we sort of settled in here and there was two things. First of all, I myself was quite upset. And at the same time, I was trying to figure out how do I help my clients? So I really spent the first two or three months helping my clients adjust to their situations and figuring out where are they, where are they going and how are they going to get there? But I would also say that the pandemic was the time that I personally wrote my book. So in terms of being able to serve a larger audience, scale my impact, being able to write and launch a book during the pandemic was very meaningful by using that time effectively. And I would also say for many people being a role model about how to use
0: this time. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, and and I'm so glad that you did that because so many people needed to hear about, learn about what you teach and what you do. So I'm glad that this pandemic uh, birthed that, you know, as, de- as devastating as the pandemic has been and still is for many, and this is not over by any stretch. And right. who would have thought we would be coming into the third year of this? Uh, I mean, it's been tragic. There's no question. However, in also tragic anything in life, there's also the other side, which is creation and goodness and birth. And with you looking at startups and all the stuff you're in, I am amazed. No, I'm not. I'm fascinated by the amount of startups and new products and new services and people that didn't even exist on the map in a business two years ago that are thriving and growing or products that existed that were just kind of limping along that are now just going through the roof. So how, how, when you were with your clients and I consult and coach various people as well, some of my clients got really squished and damaged and then recovered. One didn't make it. And yeah. then the rest that I had just thrived like crazy. They couldn't keep up with the growth and the opportunity. So, what did you see for the startup world? Because I know you do a lot of business in different ways, but in the startup world, did you have startups that you were working with that during the global pandemic just couldn't shift fast enough? And then the, the opposite question is, did you have some that just really thrived?
1: Yeah, it's a great point because, again, in the first few weeks, everyone's just trying to figure out are we still alive? Right? Like, are we still here? You know? And, um, having to adjust to the reality was super intense. I did also have a number of clients who didn't make that leap, but my clients who did really figured out what the new opportunities are. So for example, one client I have, they, um, really focused, they focus on helping on a machine health. So helping machine or, or going to their clients and making sure that they can know, um, what the machine, uh, when the machine will break. And fixing it before it breaks. That's amazing. However, what they had to do was go install on client sites. And if they couldn't be there, then what was going to happen? So, what they did instead was they helped, they figured out how they could enable self service for their customers and had the whole self service like line of business spring up from this example. So, that's one example. Of, like, the way the constraints of the pandemic really helped flourish and, and create new business lines. And I had a lot of different examples of that from my client base.
0: That's wonderful. Well, and you and you on yourself, you mentioned you birthed the book um, and got that done. And, you know, sometimes it's just redirect energy and you take life on life's terms. Yeah. And, you know, we all didn't think we could slow down. We all didn't think that we could stay at home longer. We all didn't think we could spend more time at the dinner table. We all didn't think we could do that thing we were always going to do. And Mother Nature just went, "Mm, let me put the pause button. Uh, Yeah, you can. And it was like, wow. And so from that, bring coming to the purpose question in that, you you mentioned a couple words purpose already in this opening. uh, And I love that because part of the, the thing that I do is help people find their purpose and me continue to stay tuned into my purpose. So before you were Alyssa, this globally known person, and you were the younger Alyssa in your family and friends and neighborhoods, can you give us a little story about the beginning of your journey? And when did you start knowing what your purpose was as this younger young woman?
1: Well, uh, I would say the first thing that popped into my head is that my parents always told me that when I was four years old, I wanted my own apartment. (laughs) So I would say I had an independent streak. The second thing that comes to mind is that when I was in sixth grade, I talked about this in the Tim Ferriss show, when I was in sixth grade, um, we were doing a play. My homeroom was doing a play, whatever it was. And for some reason, the teachers were just not present. And so people, for some reason, came to me to ask me, should I, can I be this part? Can I be this part? And even at the time I thought, why are you asking me? So there was sort of something about me that wanted to be involved and to make a difference and to really to lead people into the right answer. So I think that's like the, the baseline of kind of how I almost like, you know, discovered my journey, if uh-huh. you will. Um, I guess I would add that I was part of a, um, a youth group. And the youth group, all the people would tell me, you know, the people in the adults in the youth group would say we are peer led. And so I didn't really, I had no idea what that meant, but I did know that I was facilitating discussions for my colleagues who were 13 and 14 and 15 years old, just like me. Well, before I had any idea what facilitation was or peer peer leadership was. So I guess I would just say those are kind of the markers for me in my early days. But after business school, it was when I really realized that in my mind's eye, you know, I was at Coopers, I was on the fast track to partner and I kind of woke up one day and I just realized this is not it. You know, I need to figure out what is going to be it. And in my mind's eye, I kept thinking to make a difference that the work of my hands matters. And then I met a coach and everything came together. My interest in business, the facilitation experience I had and my own sense of being sort of accountable and responsible for a a bigger picture, for a bigger purpose, actually.
0: Oh, I love that. Well, it's an interesting, uh, you you obviously were one of those born leaders. Do you believe that people are born leaders or do you think that people um, both are born and then leaders can be created?
1: Well, I think both for sure. I think that what I have that other natural leaders have is kind of a presence, like a leadership presence, but that is not sufficient. And ultimately, it does not really carry you to where you need to be when you're thinking about being a leader. Leadership has to do with certainly a presence, but also really a vision, an ability, a desire to choreograph people, to kind of get them to where they need to be, where we want to be together. And also the tool of situational awareness, of understanding where do you need to zoom in a little bit more and where do you need to zoom out a little bit more. All the nuances of leadership and management for that matter are super important, and they can be and need to be taught to people. You know, in my book from startup to grown up, my very first line is leadership is an unnatural act, and I think that rings true more and more.
0: Leadership is an unnatural act, and I Noel, our engineer is on here. Noel, can we pop a few of those slides because she's saying so many great things? I know one of the things you talk about is uh, well, here's your book right here. Uh, Prepare for the journey from founder to CEO, from startup to grown up. So uh, I, I'm curious on this book that you wrote and you, you were in the finance world and you're, you're, you are you're said you were a recovering CFO kind of thing. So yeah. you have this very analytical mind that obviously understands numbers and you love show tunes, it appears. Yes. Uh, so you must be right brain, left brain. You're one of those people that kind of have that creativity. Do you look as numbers and finance as creativity as well?
1: Oh, I definitely. That's why, I mean, when I was at business school, um, the reason I went to to uh, Coopers is because I kind of fell in love with the accounting faculty. I kind of fell in love with accounting. I was a journalism major, and I recognized that accounting is the language of business. And there's so much elegance and creativity in finance, in, in accounting, and also in strategy, which is also where I focused. And so when I got to BWC, I really began to see kind of the elegance of you know, of, of how you can think about numbers as telling the story of business. You know, ultimately that wasn't my path, but I have a lot of appreciation for that field and for also where it got me.
0: Wow, that's powerful. Well, you know, I had I I was uh, in, in the path as started out in sales and then went into management and then when I ended up working for Home Services owned by Berkshire Hathaway and got into the executive space, I had to get very quote corporate oriented on understanding numbers and P&Ls and yeah. accountability like the you know down to the nats ass on stuff on and at the time it was a little bit grueling, but now as a consultant and an advisor coach, it's such a blessing that I have that skill because many of the entrepreneurs you and I work with or people that we come across, they have great ideas, they have great thoughts, they have great passion, but they don't always have great business sense or they don't always have great financial acumen. So how have you decided on your path? And well, let me, let me stop on that question again because I want to come back to the book first and come back to that question. So Noel, on this book that we have that you popped up earlier, this book um, was released when, Alyssa? this uh, The book that you wrote? Uh, October, from starting-
1: October of twenty one.
0: And it's done quite well. And I know you've gotten great accolades on it and people have loved it. Um, And what would people, if they were, give us the little Reader's Digest version of the the soundbite, if people were gonna um, read this book or listen to it on Audible, whatever it might be. And hopefully you'll go on, you can get this on Amazon. You can go to Alyssa's website. We're gonna be having that at the end of the show and we have it all in the show notes. But what are they gonna take away from this if they wanna go from a startup to a grown up?
1: Well, first of all, you have to accept that what got you here won't get you there. So, you're gonna have to grow and transform quite a bit on your journey to become a leader. My book is divided into three sections managing you, managing them, and managing the business. And Mm. it starts with managing you because everything has to do with how you show up, it's about how do you manage your psychology. How do you manage imposter syndrome, which is normal? How do you build your self-awareness? And then you take all of that to manage other people, the tools of management, understanding what makes people tick, situational awareness, building culture, and then ultimately it's all in service of building, um, getting results, so managing the company and making sure that you're all driving in the same direction. The last thing is that at the end of the book, I have 14 scripts for delicate conversations, difficult conversations to help you get your mouth around the words when you have to fire somebody, when you have to deliver bad news, when you're going to tell someone they didn't get their promotion. Those kinds of things are very sticky for people. And so I've you know, given some templates to help that.
0: Wonderful. Well, good. We've got some really step-by-steps and how-tos from an expert here, no doubt. And then coming back to that question I had earlier about people that are great entrepreneurs with their ideas, their passion. They either come to you as a coach, you run into them, they reach out to you, you observe them, however it might be, and you realize they don't have this other side of the coin, i.e. the financial expertise or the understanding the importance of it. So how do you help in your coaching uh, of your clients? And how do you select people in that process, that you know they're going to be able to be coachable in both those things: entrepreneurship, vision, great product, and then the finance side.
1: Yeah, I mean it's not so much the finance side as much as it's the business acumen. So you may not be actually. I worked with a CEO a number of years ago. He's like, I don't like budgets. I'm not into it, and that's totally enough. No problem. He needs to hire someone who can be super strong on that and partner with him so that. The company has a great budget. The company has financial acumen. It doesn't always have to come for you. In fact, one of the skills as a CEO is that you hire the right people around you to make up for your gaps in skills. And at the same time, you know, when I think about you know, everything, you have to grow anyway. So you have your product person or a salesperson, but you do have to learn some of the basics of business and being commercially oriented. Otherwise, your product will never see the light of day because it's not just about what you think is cool. It's about what people are going to buy.
0: That's right. Well, when 20% of businesses failing in the first year, and then I think it's up to like 50% fail in the fifth year, and then people are trying to scale and grow, these things you're talking about are crucial. And one of the things I found growing up the ladder of being an executive CEO and then running my own companies for years was not only did I have to learn and do what you just said, but in addition to delegating it out to people, whether it's a CFO or CEO, I had to also learn to let go and give them the authority and the agreement between us both to tell me no. And to to stand toe to toe. So if you're going to hire someone to handle your finances or your budgeting, your performance, uh, then you need to be able to realize in that arena, they get the trump card on certain things to say yes or no to certain stuff. Because if you have a CEO who just is delegating out. And their ego is letting them still control everything. They just keep overriding those in which they've delegated. Have you found that being issues with any of your clients?
1: Sure. It's hard to let go. And I don't even think it's about the ego. It's about, you know, the sort of the fear and the concern, not knowing if someone is going to care as much, not knowing what the capabilities are. Sometimes a young leader who doesn't have that leadership experience, you know, it's about also when they've let go before and it hasn't done and hasn't gone well. So I think it's the nuance and the art and the deft touch about knowing As I said before, when to zoom in and when to zoom out and giving people decision authority and letting them run with it and also holding people accountable to business results.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, and, and one of the things I challenged myself to do when I was getting into that fear of letting go or thinking I could only do it myself was that's when I started studying this thing about Wayne Dyer, who was a great writer and a great you know, uh, spiritual leader and a, you know, he was a psychologist early on, but he talked a lot about the ego and I would think it was in my late 20s and I remember reading about many of his books and one of the things he said was ego is edging good out or edging God out or edging greatness out and he went on to talk about that also when you're in fear, Or fear of not trusting others, a lot of times that is part of ego. So I went, well, how could that be? And I started studying that. And that's when I thought, well, just like the, the yin and yang side of the, the I started going to this, the, the light and the dark of the ego, because the ego actually is very necessary. It gets mm-hmm. shit done, mm-hmm. uh, you know? And then the other side of that, which I call Iggy, which is inviting good. It is that lighter side, which is letting go of the fear and stepping into that spiritual intelligence in your own belief that it's going to work out. And there's something higher than yourself guiding that. So I'm curious when you're tapping into this vision and the mission and people's uh, talents, How do you tap into that untangible, you know, the company culture, the charisma of someone or what I call spiritual intelligence in their belief system, getting into the ecosystem of a company? Do you you talk with your people about that? And do you have any belief that that's true or accurate?
1: Well, I think that um, there's something here, but what you're saying is about the need at times to surrender, to let go, to um, recognize that things are happening organically around you. And so I think that that's very powerful from that point of view. I don't talk with my clients specifically about spiritual intelligence, but I certainly talk about, you know, what comes up inside of them in the moments where they hesitate. Uh, Just today I had a discussion with a client. He's a CEO and is a new CEO. And he was talking about needing to be more inspirational. So, okay, well, that's fine. He's a very charismatic person. So like, what do you mean? And specifically what we ended up talking about was, his own at times, inner doubt, like he wants to inspire people, because we're going to go over there. But in his mind's eye, in his heart, he sometimes has a little bit of an inner doubt, are we really going to make it? And he wants to be authentic, and he wants to be a person of his word. So there's this disconnect between, I want to be authentic, and I want to mean what I say. And also, I'm a little uncomfortable, because maybe we won't make it. And so how do you then kind of you know, resolve all that inside of you. And actually, I think that's a spiritual quest.
0: Yeah, I think it is as well. And it's, and it's that surrendering thing. I remember when I was climbing the corporate ladder in my 20s and 30s, I kept thinking I had to be the suit and tie guy on the stage, leading and having the answers for everybody. And it wasn't until I had a, my own personal breakdown on health, you were talking about health is everything, that I had to get really real about I was working hard and playing hard, and I just crashed. Um, And I had to be very vocal about that. It was actually an alcohol issue. And I had to, Mm. I I stood in front of the company, which was like 500 or 800 people and talked about it when I came back out of that process. Mm. And from that point on, I started getting very vulnerable and authentic about still being confident, still being strong, creating the vision. But also when I had fears or doubts, voicing them in a way that we still in a human, uh, a human experience that made me way more authentic. So I realized yeah. for myself as a leader, the more authentic and real and raw that I got and still confident and truthful, for me, that ended up being a really good mix. But it's a hard chasm to go over when everyone's looking at you to have the answers and they don't want to see fear. It's like I said, don't ever let them see you sweat. Well, sometimes letting them see you sweat and talking about why you're sweating can be really cathartic <laughs> for yeah. your people around you.
1: Yeah, because it shows your vulnerability, and your humanity. You know, I just um, on my podcast, I just had Paul English, who is the co-founder of Kayak, and what he said is, people, uh, people um, come to people come to your company because of confidence, but they stay loyal because of vulnerability. Mm. And I think that that is really important to know that you need to have the combination of confidence and also vulnerability
0: yeah that's great, and that yeah. vulnerability also can be translated as heart. They come for confidence and they stay for heart, you know, so yeah. showing them your heart, I want to pop back to something you said I knew that you were on the show uh, and talk about a serial entrepreneur uh Tim Ferris mm-hmm. uh for those of you who don't know Tim Ferris, he's a serial entrepreneur he's probably runs one of the top podcasts in the world. He was in the early days of many many things starting up, and you know he's tested all kinds of things out from you know, jumping off a roof or jumping you know, trying health products or doing some uh, endurance thing. Uh, and he's brilliant. How did you meet him and how did you get on his show? And what did you take away from him as a, a little case study as well with all that you teach about entrepreneurship? Did he fit that mold pretty well for you after you were on his show?
1: Um, well, I met Tim, as we talk about on the show, um, a, a client of mine introduced me to Tim and I did some work with him and his team for a few years and I guess I would say that one thing about Tim is that he is really, um, he's, he's uh, when I think about Tim, what I think about is integrity. Because mm-hmm. Tim will say what he's going to do and then do what he says. And if he's not going to do something, he won't say that he'll do something. And not only that, but he has this, um, one thing about Tim, he has an incredible presence. You know, he's sort of an, a well-known meditator. And I can't speak to if that is what, kind of activated his presence, but when he's with you and he's kind of one-on-one with you, he's very focused and a very present person. And I think, you know, his success is something that he talks a lot about, which is his ability to say no to things so that he has room for the yeses.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, mm-hmm. he's a he's a force. And taking that on the same thing, if if someone's out listening and they're not quite at a Tim Ferriss level, but they're a startup, what are uh maybe two or three things you can you can give a startup that in some of the things we've already been talking about? But if you said, Hey, uh someone's listening, I'm a startup and on a monthly basis whether it's taking inventory of certain things of themselves or their company or uh, tech issues or financings, whatever it might be. Is there three tips that come off the top of your head that are things that an entrepreneur should always make sure they're fully aware of and they know how to track and measure or to gauge?
1: Mm. Uh, Well, I think it depends on what stage you're at. So I think it's actually about determining what are the key success metrics now. So early days, that might be sales. For example, one client I had, It would say early days, it was like sales. we just have to sell the things and get new logos. Over time, it was much more important to be process-oriented. So it was about not just number of sales, it was specifically productivity of sales reps. So that was a change. And it's important to be aware that your company has matured and things are going to change. I would add that it's normal as you're a startup and people join your startup, as you get to be a bigger company, People are going to leave your startup and that's no reflection on you. That's not taking it personally, but then you don't take it personally. But people don't want that same kind of environment as you grow. People sort of self-select. So I would say some things to be aware of are the fact that your company will change. You have to accept and embrace that it's going to change and adjust and adapt and grow as a leader into the changes so that you can continue to lead that company.
0: That's wonderful. Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. The startup stage versus a 10-year season company that's made it to the next level. Uh, and one of the things I found myself is regardless of those stages for me, I did understand, and you talked about coaching in one of your slides and before, and I, I've had a coach since I was 26 years old, mm-hmm. and I've had one every year that I've paid for and said, hey, for me, coaching is key. Coaching works. For you, did you before you came a coach, did you have a coach?
1: Um, I did not have a coach before I discovered coaching. So I discovered coaching and I was like, I want to be a coach. Like it was clear. I met a coach at a conference when I was really in a seeking mode. And when I met her, I was like, that's what I want to do. What's that? And I followed her around the conference and, um, you know, she spoke to, she spoke to, I was a volunteer she spoke to the volunteers. I was like, that's amazing. I followed her around the conference and I saw her in a group of 500 people say, as she was speaking, who wants to stand up right now? And be have some live coaching. And I thought, wow, what's gonna happen now? And someone stood up and she had 20 minutes of live coaching. And I thought, oh my gosh, I could never do that. But I also thought, I could do that. And that (laughs) was the moment, right? Violins played. So what do you do? Well, she told I actually followed her around. I said, What should I do? She said, take coach training and hire a coach. Fine. So I hired a coach. And ever since then, I've had a number of different kinds of coaches, including, of course, the great gross Marshall Goldsmith, who's been kind enough to be a mentor, coach, guide friend, you know, muse for 16 years.
0: Uh, yeah, he he is a, he is amazing. He is one unique individual for sure. Yeah. Uh, I will come back to him in a minute. You said um, I can do that. It reminded me of the line uh, in the chorus line where I think it was one of the singers says I can do that. Isn't there a yeah. song about that or something? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. Speaking yeah. about shows, uh, my wife is like one of the biggest show buffs of the Broadway stuff, show tunes. She was in you know dinner theater and theater stuff as a teenager, and then yeah. our our niece was pretty talented. She ended up being Glenda on, in Wicked on Broadway for about two or three years. Amazing. So we, yeah, so we used to go to a lot of shows at different times. But how did you go from this business side of yourself or you know, a recovering CFO? How did you get involved in liking show tunes and then investing in uh, producing uh, shows, I think?
1: You know, my parents uh, took us to shows every year. The first show I saw was Annie. And mm-hmm. my parents took us, I lived, grew up in Boston, and my parents took us to, to, to this King and I and all those wonderful old fashioned shows, amazing. And so I grew up with this. I was in theater myself, you know, from fifth grade to 12th grade. I was in um, drama club and all that. And um, after that, I just got, you know, I was just very interested. And then when I moved to New York, it was like exciting to be part of that.
0: That's wonderful. Uh, well, it, it's, a, it's a great expression. And you and I know Mark Thompson as well. And I know Mark's a, a big uh, show buff who, buff who has his apartment with Marshall in New York. And I know Marshall's, or Mark has uh, invested in a few, a few shows. So you met Marshall 16 years ago. I think that's about when I met him. It was like 16 or 18 years ago. Uh, he had his dog, Bo, then. Uh, yeah. And I, was, uh, I think I, was, I wasn't the CEO yet, but I was the president of Prudential California Realty. And I was looking for a new coach. And I happened to see Marshall on the front page of the San Diego business journal. And he was sitting in a meditative pose on the floor with his leg crossed and his, in his green shirt with his little dog Bo sitting next to him. And but it was in the business section. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, they must've gotten the wrong photo in the business section. Cause it says it started with Buddhist something. And then it was all about Marshall. I'm like this guy looks really fascinating. And I saw he lived in ranch Santa Fe, which was not far from where I was. So I emailed him and as he, you know, uh, took a while to get back because he was traveling, but you know how he does his greetings from London or greetings from New York. And the next thing I know, I invite him to lunch and we were having lunch downtown San Diego. Uh, and, um, at the time when I found out what he charged, because the way he gets tra- hired by boards, it was definitely out of my budget range, but he said, do you like to walk dogs? I go, yeah, I like to walk dogs. Why? And he goes, well, you live pretty close to me. He goes, on weekends, if I'm home, I always walk my Bo, my dog, Bo, if you'd ever like to come over and walk Bo. So the next week or two, I emailed him and said, hey, Marshall. And then for three or four years, uh, every month or two, I'd be walking Bo with Marshall. And he's just kicked. So w- what have you learned from Marshall on your own path and journey? Uh, And I know he's a big fan of yours and uh, gives you major accolades as well deserved. So how did you guys meet and how did you guys stay in contact and and, in friendship and mentoring for so long?
1: You know, Steve, we have a very similar experience of how we met Marshall. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I saw that article that Marshall had um, in The New Yorker. And I thought like, you know, it was in 2000 and gosh, 2003, 2004, I was a baby coach, but I thought, oh, that's, that's the, that's like, that made me feel more confident. Like that is my philosophy. And then at some point I was going to winter in San Diego. And so I realized, Hey, Marshall Goldsmith lives in San Diego. I'm going to find that guy. So I couldn't find him. I couldn't find him. So I emailed him and I emailed him and said, I'd love to come over. Oh, no, I didn't love to come over. I would love to meet you, even if it's for a little period of time, even for a short period of time, even if um, it has to be scheduled far in advance. A week later, he emailed me greetings from, you know, wherever. And he said, I do this on the weekends when I walk my dog. <laughs> so he then he said, call this number. So I called that number. And I there I was walking Marshall's dog, also right, Bo, um, around the pond. He walks you around the pond. And we had a great conversation, and at the middle, in the middle, at some point, he said, "How can I make your life better?" And I was like, "Oh, you know, it's a Marshall question, right?" But I'm not ready for it. I "I just want to spend more time with you. So at the end, when I'm getting in my car in the driveway, I thought I got to step up here, and I said, "Well, I know he's the big mentor, but I got to step up." I said, "Marshall, how can I make your life better?" And he said, "Well, there's a project you can work on with me." I was like, "I totally want to do that." So. In the end, I worked on a project with him and then more and more for a couple of years, shoulder to shoulder, right in the coaching trenches. And of course, ever since then, you know, again, Marshall's been a mentor and a friend. And as you know, in the 100 Coaches community, he's been such a bright light. Um what was the other question?
0: <laughs> you answered that. That was, that was awesome. That was great. Right. Well, and then what, so when, do you take some of his teachings, do you think either through osmosis or through intention and incorporate that into your own work right now?
1: Oh, of course. Yeah. Marshall, I mean, he's part of my, my lineage, you know, I, I think a lot about lineage, right? Sort of, you know, the, the, the ancestors that we had before us who informed our work and, you know, I've gotten so much from Marshall and the, Number of things, specifically the 360 feedback process that he uses with his clients, you know, I got trained in that again, just by being with him and doing it together. But then also, when you see him with his clients, the joy, the fun, you know, it's like, this is serious work, but he does it with so much joy and love and fun. And that is an amazing um, thing to be part of. And I've taken a lot from that.
0: Yeah, that's what I. And he has a new book out. So for those listening in, Marshall Goldsmith, uh, he has a website. Uh, Marshall Goldsmith will put in the notes. He also has Marshall Goldsmith Library, which has all kinds of content he just shares for free. Yeah. And his latest book coming out is called "The Deserved, uh, the Earned Life." Earned life. The yeah. Earned Life. And it really is about his journey and path. And many of us, how we all here on this planet have a purpose, and what are we doing to earn our life, and what is our legacy, and how can we pay it forward? He did a great tribute to Tick Not Han, who just passed away, who he had spent time with, but I thought about Thich Nhat Hanh's passing and all the great work he's done in the the world from peacefulness and from a Buddhist perspective, but also through politics and people that he've touched and businesses. And Marshall does that as well. So if you get a chance to check out Marshall Goldsmith, we're going to put that in the show notes. And then I think with those skills that you and I have learned from Marshall uh, and from our own work, the, the daily pressures that entrepreneurs and people have in the workforce, to me, seems to be greater than ever before. So you were talking about exercise. You were talking about the importance of mindset. What other things do startups or just business leaders you work with How do you help them deal with the current pressures that are happening in the workplace? What are some of the things you do or advise people to do to help reduce or work through some of the pressures they're under?
1: You know, some of that's an inside job, like as in, I understand that you're stressed and there's a lot of stressful things going on, but really, what are you really so stressed about? And so really tapping into what's going on with them that's causing the anxiety or the negative voices. The second thing is definitely from the outside perspective as in recognizing, you know, even though many things will go wrong, there's a lot of ways to win. And then a lot of executives, a lot of the CEOs I work with, actually are subject to imposter syndrome. Very successful people definitely suffer from severe self-doubt and imposter syndrome. So for them, I help them with a highlight reel, as in when you're not feeling stressed and upset, when you're even killed, write down your capabilities, write down the successes you've had in your life, and then you have it right there in front of you. So when severe self-doubt and imposter syndrome crops up, then, um, you will, you will already have something to kind of turn to.
0: And Alyssa, for some reason, someone may haven't heard the the uh, term imposter syndrome. Can you give a quick definition of what that means actually?
1: Yeah. What it means is that you're so you're severely doubting yourself so much that you think like, Oh, the jig is up. I've been lucky my whole life and they're going to find me out. It's this notion of, they're going to find me out and, 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 and show me as an imposter. That's why it's called imposter syndrome.
0: Yes. And I I have found not I I had that myself growing up because I barely graduated high school. I moved out of my house when I was 17. I tried going to college. I never completely graduated college. Mm. And so as I went through the corporate world, I kept thinking, oh, my God, someone's going to find out I don't. It's not like I put it on my resume that I had a college degree, but it was like there must have been something I missed in a course or a class. And I'm not going to have it. And I kept being from boardroom to boardroom and kept climbing the ladder. And I remember when I was flying to meet Warren Buffett after he had bought the company I worked for, and I was on the plane, I had a severe attack of imposter syndrome. Like, this is when it's finally going to come to light. Uh, and, what I, and, and, it didn't, and I and it just got me more and more confident of realizing that's human nature of doubting ourselves. And, and I think that I have seen people in entertainment, executive world, startups, Sports ex- people, I think all people at some point have internal doubt that sometimes their life is even bigger than it they realize it is. And sometimes we go, Oh my God, like we don't even realize some. Like when you, when I read your, your bio or when you're out in the world, don't you sometimes go, God, I've done all that? Like, oh yeah, it, it's like sometimes we amaze ourselves and then I'm like, and because some days you don't feel that way. Sometimes we, you know, sometimes you're sad, sometimes you're depressed, sometimes you're not motivated. We're all human beings. So, this imposter syndrome, I think, is part of a human experience. And that's where having exercise and meditation, as you talked about with Tim Ferriss, I'm a big believer in meditation or a daily practice of some kind of spiritual connection, which I want to come and talk about in the last few minutes here. Yeah, Um, We have about uh, just five or six minutes left, but I want to jump into something. Uh, We've got Noel, our engineer, but Noelle, let's make sure everyone is, uh, anyone that's viewing is seeing Alyssa's website, uh, AlyssaCone.com, and uh, we're going to put that in the show notes. So she's got a great site where you can go and learn about her. She has her own podcast, workshops, et cetera, et cetera. I also know you've got something where you're being featured at a pretty uh, cool thing coming up in an event about your book, right? What's that going to be?
1: Well, I finally got invited to Davos. So that's exciting. And I'm going to give a book talk uh, at Davos. And so, and Davos was, of course, this year because of COVID, moved from January to May. So that's upcoming. And I have a bunch of other talks and I'm so excited to be re-engaging in the world of in-person events.
0: Well, she kind of said that a little shy there, but she is invited to Davos. I want to underscore that. That is a big deal. Congratulations.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Steve. I
0: will say that as the, you
1: know, if I think about the, Five year ago, Alyssa, you know, being invited to Davos, going to TED, doing all these things—it's really. It's, sometimes we sort of normalize it, and it's really for me, it's a big deal. It like is you an, were it saying is a big before. Deal.
0: I want you to have a higher, stronger voice when you say it next time. Okay, thank you, Steve. <laughs> I appreciate it's, that. it's so cool, and I'm yeah. so happy for you. Thank you. Uh, you also have some scripts that you have here. One of the things that uh, Alyssa has, if you're seeing the screen, and if you can't see the screen, we're going to be in the show notes, but she has some things that she has said. People say, what do I actually say? So sometimes just giving people the words to say, Alyssa, gives them the confidence and helps them get past their imposter syndrome. But can you talk a little bit about this thing here? And then we're going to jump into some uh, Instagram fun things we're going to talk sure. about. Sure. But- you
1: know, when I, when I talk with my clients and they like we finally get to the point where they're going to deliver some message or whatnot, they're ready to do it, but they say, well, what am I going to say? So then I say, I well, don't you just say this? And then they're furiously taking notes. So I realized that getting your mouth around the words is really meaningful. So I've created a bunch of templates on my website that you can download for free to help you get your mouth around the words, which is half the battle.
0: Perfect. I love that. Well, thank you for the step-by-step and how-to. One of the things you mentioned, and I glossed over, and I meant to come back to it, is this 360-degree uh, feed-forward process and the uh, thing that we that both you and I learned from the stakeholder coaching stuff probably through Marshall and his stuff. So one of the things um, – can you talk about that, what that is? And then I want to – I didn't want to gloss over that because it was such an important thing that a lot of people aren't doing it in the way in which Marshall created it or just taking that kind of personal inventory from others. So can you <laughs> talk about, about what is 360-degree um, – Sure.
1: 360-degree feedback is when I ask around, uh, I ask uh, sort of what's working and not working, strengths and development opportunities and suggestions for the future, to your point about about feed forward, of everybody around the CEO I'm working with. Because Steve, you are the expert on your intention, but everybody around you is the expert in your impact. So when you can marry intention with impact, it's a core part of leadership development.
0: And this is where the thing we were talking about earlier about vulnerability, where you as a leader have to really kind of open up your kimono and give permission to say, yeah, you can talk to my 10 key reports around me that report to me or that, and they get to, and sometimes even put personal family members. And don't we, I mean, if you've been able to do that, you pull like a spouse or a partner, because sometimes people see us differently than we see ourselves. And to yeah. have yourself opened up to get that written feedback, very powerful. Then choose if you want to do something about it. That's the key. You want to then do anything about it. Exactly. That's so true. Well, we're going to jump to another segment here. We have uh, social media is so big in, in the world right now, and there's so many things happening with social media, the way we communicate, uh, the way we promote, the way we connect with family. But we, we uh, do a little segment on the show called Instantly Interesting Instagram on the Alchemy of Business Show. So one of the things we, we did is we uh, pop into the guest uh, uh, Instagram feed over the last month or two, and we pop up photos that we think are interesting. So what we did is we took a quick dive on your, your screen there, your, your stream. And then we pulled up a few photos, ones without any context that we're not gonna throw into it. You're gonna give us that. And then you can quickly in a speed round, share and tell us more about what's happening in that photo. You up to play? I love it. Okay, here we are with Alyssa Cohn in instantly interesting Instagram. So for those of you who can't see this, if you're on audio only, this is Alyssa sitting on top of a credenza in an office uh, with a bunch of cameras around her and other people looking at her like she's the center of attention. So what's happening here? What's this about?
1: That is my New York City home. We are shooting a reality TV show called Coach, and that was the day that my book showed up at my apartment. You can see all my books there uh, lying on the bottom shelf. So we're having an interview for the reality TV show Coach.
0: Was it planned that way that you knew your book was coming, or was no. it by coincidence?
1: A wonderful coincidence.
0: Ah, and there's no coincidence in life. Talk about a confirmation. That's right. Okay, here is Alyssa on the left with uh, our, our, um, somebody who's in a green shirt polo, who he always is, and mm-hmm. then another uh, someone who's part of a, a group that we're involved in, and it looks like you're also maybe in New York. That might be. Mo- I'm not sure. I'm gonna let you say. So what's yep. this picture right here that you're in? Uh, also looking like being filmed.
1: That's Marshall's apartment, and that's my good friend and amazing colleague Dory Clark um and and of course marshall the great marshall goldsmith and we were shooting a number of little videos um about coaching and about achieving goals and about you know different different topics that we're we're kind of riffing with each other
0: wonderful are you pretty comfortable in front of camera i'd assume because you're yeah, uh at this point i am yeah i've seen you in a lot yeah. of spots i know you're okay here's one that you have headphones on it mm-hmm. to me looks like you might be in uh, something flying through the air uh yeah. so tell us what's going on here
1: yeah, so that is um, probably the second time that I was in an airplane with my beau. He was the pilot, so he just got his private pilot's license uh, about a year and a half ago. And so this is probably the second flight I ever took with him. Uh, just to say that there was a flight instructor in the in the plane at that point. <laughs> Although later, maybe, actually, maybe this was with this one too. No, actually, maybe this was too. I did my first solo with just me and my beau uh, in his plane so talk about
0: surrendering wow i'm impressed
1: you got that right
0: was it thrilling
1: yeah it was it was great it was a little nerve-wracking but i was really proud of him and we flew to socrates and bought some men and artists we we went to an artist loft we bought some art and we came home
0: oh very cool yeah here's you um this looks like it's a a snapshot from a youtube video but it's got uh, the word ceo under it and you're by a brick wall and then a door what's happening here
1: This is the rap music video that I created the first one ever about executive coaching. It's called the work is in you because the work Steve is in you. You can find that on YouTube. If you just yeah, Google we're gonna. Alyssa we're gonna Collins it's Collins. hilarious. It's
0: so good, and talk about you showing your 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 dramatic and fun and entertainment side. So go check this out, everybody. It's uh it's gonna be on YouTube, and we'll have the link in the uh, the thing here. It's a rap song that she's put together and does brilliantly. Yeah. Okay, so uh and then reaching out to Alyssa, if you're seeing the screen here, we've got her website, we've got uh, her LinkedIn, her tech, uh, uh Twitter, and Instagram. So again, we're gonna have all these in the show notes. Um, is there a place that you like people to start first? Is it your website, Alyssa, where people can. Yeah, if you
1: come to my website and you you, you type in com slash scripts. Uh, you can sign up for my newsletter and you can download the scripts that I was mentioning, templates to help you have better conversations at work and one to make your life better. You can always follow me on Twitter, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, whatever, and come and say hi.
0: All right. And as we're closing up the show here, we just have a couple minutes left. Um, I, I wanted to talk to you about, you've talked a lot about purpose and creation and creativity and also having a plan and getting your vision out let's talk about on your own path you have had an amazing life you have really been a mentor a guide a leader um, and an inspiration to many Uh, and for some people that they may call that that you finding your purpose is some kind of a spiritual connection to the universe of tapping into what your purpose and stuff is do you have a definition for yourself about what spirituality is to you in your life or world that you live in
1: I think spirituality really comes down to an inner wisdom Um, and, you know, finding the quiet voice inside of you that is speaking to you really inner. But then also, if you think about God, you know, the notion of namaste, you know, I see the divine in you. I think the divine in you is honestly that inner, still, quiet voice.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful. And then, how do you tap into that? How do you yourself, you or your beau, or your relate? How do you have those aha moments or tapping into that energy? Do you consciously do it, or is it subconscious that it just flows when it's there?
1: Um, I think it flows when it's there, but also I can be very—I, I, and my bow at times are very intentional with a gratitude practice, which we do every day, every time we're eating together, especially at home. We have a gratitude practice together. And um, for me, meditation helps that. And there are times that I pray, you know, I pray for direction.
0: That's wonderful. And we talked about meditation earlier with Tim Ferriss that brought up and I do the same. I'm a big believer in prayer and meditation. And to me, prayer is when I'm speaking to the universe or I do choose to call my higher power God. And meditation for me is when I'm distinctly listening. Like I'm listening to the universe, and mm-hmm. one of the things in wrapping up here, uh, Noel, on slide twenty, uh, Alyssa already mentioned the word gratitude. But one of the things in the Iggy principles on slide twenty here, uh, Noel, is that uh, we've got you know these different components. Uh, the next slide, Noel, um, is the components that the Iggy is about bringing in prayer or mm-hmm. gratitude, or forgiveness, or integrity. So, but since you, i always ask people on this, where would pop out to them the most. So you mentioned prayer already, and you mentioned gratitude. Um, and I look at that as a component in a balance sheet or a P&L of business and life. So can you speak as we wrap up the show, for the audience listening in, as we wrap up from your perspective, what is your uh, gratitude, that you have right now in your life that you're most grateful for?
1: Oh, so many things. I'm grateful to be safe. I'm grateful for my health. I'm grateful to be able to make a difference for people. I'm grateful that my faculties are being used in service of a greater good.
0: And that's wonderful. And we are grateful that you were on our show today, The Alchemy of Business, Miss Alyssa Cohn. So thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for sharing your time. Thank you for the wonderful things you're out doing in the world. You are making it a better place and we so appreciate it. And thank, thank those of you that were listening in or watching today on The Alchemy of Business show. We will be back with more stellar guests in the near future that will touch your heart and head and spirit. Thank you for listening in. And that concludes this episode of The Alchemy of Business with your host, Steve Rogers. If you found value in today's broadcast, please consider liking, subscribing, sharing with friends, and leaving a review. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next Thursday for another episode. Be blessed, and see you soon.